Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Pastor Josh. I'm so happy to be with you all here this morning. Uh, Like Pastor Josh was saying, I've been serving here at Banner Church for quite a few years now. Uh, Just recently, I started serving with our new youth ministry. Which is incredible. It's been so much fun to spend time with some of the teenagers that are here at Banner Church and to minister to them, get to know them better. I love working with kids and teenagers. I mean, that's it's my whole life. My day job is being a teacher and an administrator. I work with teenagers all day long. And now doing the youth ministry, I work with them all night as well. So it's good. It's good. And I love it. I love hanging out with teenagers, I think, because um, especially the middle schoolers, the early years, because they're just so delightfully awkward. Like, just, it, I love it. I love it. It reminds me of the days when I was in middle school, and I had that little awkward phase. Like, you don't really know how to move your body. You're just kind of there. You know, you just have all this energy. You're just all over the place. Uh, I remember when, when I was a young teenager, just about 12 or 13 years old, I was living in Cottonwood, Arizona, And my youth group was an incredible place, and I felt like God was calling me even then to start doing ministry. And so I started a club at my school to help minister called Youth Alive. Uh, And then in our youth group, we set up a skate park behind the youth building so that we can invite kids in the community to come skate and to receive Jesus. So I got, like, really into skateboarding, and I, like, wanted to do this whole ministry. But, of course, I was, like, 12 or 13, and so you never know what you're going to encounter when when you're that young. And I remember one night at youth group, everything just changed for little Jamin there. I was at youth group, hanging out with my friends, and then this girl walked in. Beautiful girl. And I found out her name was Yvonne. Oh, what a name, Yvonne. And I, I was struck by Yvonne. I mean, I just, I just was like, oh, this girl, she's so beautiful. I, I want to I wanna see if I can maybe go out with her. I don't even know what going out means. I don't know. I'm 12. But I wanted to be with this girl. And I remember at the time, I, couldn't, I didn't really know how to approach her or anything. I just I didn't know what to do. And my brother gave me the advice. He was like, Jamin, you know, come on. Just go and talk to her. Just ask her questions and listen to her. Get to know her. That's all you need to do. It's really simple. Uh, he was wise beyond his years, but I thought in the moment he was an idiot. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not going to work. I have to, I have to impress her. That's what I have to do. So I came up with a plan. I sent my friends the next week to her to invite her after the service to come over to the skate park and come watch us do skateboarding and all that. And I set myself up on top of the half pipe there at the skate park and I invited her to come. You know, I have my friends go invite her to come. And I'm waiting out there. And I'm like, I'm going to just, as soon as she comes out, I'm going to drop into the half pipe, do some cool tricks. And then as soon as I'm done, you know, I'll walk over. And she'll be like, wow, Jamin, that was incredible. I want to be your man. Or I want to be your girl. Sorry. I want to be her man, right? That's what I'm expecting is going to happen. So that's the plan. It's going to go really well, obviously, at least 12-year-old Jamin thought. So she comes out. I'm there on the half pipe. I'm ready. I see that she's watching. I'm like, this is it. This is go time. So I drop down in the half pipe, and right as I'm coming up the other side, I hit a rock. My skateboard goes flying. 
I land on my back. The breath is knocked out of me. And of course, everyone at the skate park like runs over to see if I'm okay, including Yvonne. How embarrassing. And I'm there, and I, you know when you get up, like, and the breath's knocked out of you, but you don't want people to know that you're in pain? So I'm like, oh, I'm okay, no worries, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, don't worry about me. And that was me, I came up, uh, and clearly, obviously, uh, Yvonne and I didn't work out. <laughs> didn't, didn't end up happening. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but I, I, I remember in the moment, my 12-year-old brain thought, the reason that I could not be with Yvonne was because I had messed up. I like, you know, I, I failed and I embarrassed myself. When in reality, I should have just taken my brother's advice. I probably should have just, instead of trying to impress her, gone and talked with her, asked her questions, listened to her, and gotten to know her. It was that simple. And I think that many times in our lives as Christians, we approach God in the same way. We try to impress him. We try to do all that we can to get his notice when really all that God desires of us is that we sit at his feet and listen attentively to him, that we begin to enter into a place of intimacy with our Father. That's really what he asks of us. Uh, we've been in a series uh, the last few weeks called Meals with Jesus, where we're looking at all these different moments in the book of Luke where Jesus sits down to eat with people and begins to teach them. And today, I want to look at a passage where Jesus sits down to eat with two sisters, Mary and Martha. And I think that this story illustrates really well this idea of what God wants from us, that he wants intimacy before he wants service. So if you'd open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we're going to begin right there. Again, that's Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. In our lives as Christians, we are called to be obedient to God. But I think that what this story illustrates for us is that there are different ways that you can be obedient. Mary and Martha, both in this moment, are obedient to God and his call, but in diametrically opposed ways. And I think that discovering this difference comes down to the heart of what it means to truly be a child of God before we become his servant. So today, I really want to answer three questions for us. Uh, the first is, what is this difference 
What is the difference between the obedience of Mary and the obedience of Martha? The second question I want to answer is why in the world does, does Jesus say that Mary's obedience is the good portion? What does he mean by that? That this is the good portion that will not be taken away from her. And then finally, I want to get practical. How can we obey God more like Mary and less like Martha? Are you guys ready? Go there today? Let's go here. Oh, before we really get into that first question, what is the difference between the two? I feel like I do have to give a little bit of a defense for Martha. Because it's really easy. This story is real fast. It's really quick. And it's easy to just jump straight to the end where Jesus basically tenderly rebukes Martha and forget that that's radical that he's doing that. Because Martha was actually being obedient. She was doing a very good and a righteous thing by being hospitable to Jesus and his disciples. We've actually been talking about this in our series, that the virtue of hospitality is a Christian virtue. We are called as Christians to be hospitable to the people around us, just like Martha was doing. In fact, in, in the ancient world, uh, the virtue of hospitality was in such high praise across the board, even in the pagan nations, that the Greeks and the Romans believed that Zeus himself, the highest of their gods, blessed people who were hospitable and cursed people who were not. The Hebrews at the time also saw hospitality as a very, very, very important part of life. Jesus himself in the book of Luke talks incessantly about this and demonstrates a level of hospitality that is really astounding. A few weeks ago, we were looking at Luke chapter uh, 5, and we were looking at the portion where Jesus dines with sinners. And here's what happens in that passage. Luke chapter 5, verse 30, it says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I, I love this passage. We talked about how Jesus is demonstrating here that hospitality is not just about getting together with friends, but Jesus sees the dinner table as an operating table for the soul. And I think that we do too. It's so important for us as Christians to recognize that the place where we gather for meals is a place where healing and restoration can happen in our communities. Jesus demonstrates this himself. Uh, he says as well, we see in Luke chapter 10, Jesus uh, just as at the beginning of the chapter, right before the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus sends 72 disciples out into the surrounding villages to go preach the gospel. And when he sends them out, he tells them, as you go into each village, make sure that you find someone who will be hospitable to you. Enter into their home, eat and drink whatever they offer you. And then he says, if no one in the village is hospitable to you, if no one receives you into their home, turn around, shake the dust off your feet. And he says, it will be more bearable for Sodom than for that town on the day that Christ returns. 
that's heavy. That is some heavy stuff that Jesus is throwing out there. And we see this too in the early church. In 1 Peter, Peter tells us, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins, and offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I really believe, church, that if we were to take this to heart, if our whole church community were truly to be people who made our dinner tables operating tables for the soul, that we would see revival and transformation in this city like nothing we've seen before. I truly believe that. So Martha is doing a good thing. All that to say, she is being obedient. But how many of you know, sometimes you can be obedient in the wrong way, with the wrong heart, right? I saw this just a few days ago. I was teaching a seventh grade history class, and all my students came in for the class, and at the beginning I said, okay, students, take your seats. Let's get, let's get started. And a lot of the kids all sat down, and then one boy picked his chair up over his head and started walking out of the classroom. And I was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And he said, Mr. Metcalf, you told me to take my chair. You didn't say where. I was like, oh, you. All right. Seventh graders, twisting my words. You can obey in the wrong way. And I think actually here, as hard as this might be for us to see, Martha is obeying Christ in the same way that the Pharisees were obeying the law. We learned last week about this interaction Jesus had with the Pharisees regarding the Sabbath. And the problem in that passage is not that the Pharisees practiced the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a good thing. The problem was they did it with the wrong heart. They did it in such a way that they could glorify and self-justify themselves. And that's what Martha is doing in this passage. So what is the difference? How is Mary different from Martha? Take a look back at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 with me. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her, or him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. I want you to notice here two things about the posture of Mary. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is her putting into physical reality where her heart was. It is a posture of humility. She's not reclining at the table with Jesus in a place of equality, but sitting at his feet. There in a position of humility, looking to Jesus. And what does it say? It says she listened to his teaching. She was open to the word of Christ. And this is so interesting to me. I think we can miss it if we go too quick through this scripture here. That the fact that she was listening is huge. There is actually a big theme that goes all throughout the book of Luke regarding the importance of listening. It is all through this book up until this point. 
It's magnificent. Uh, just to give you a sense of this, I want to pull just a few verses out of Luke to show you how this works. In Luke chapter 8, verse 8, Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower. And at the end of the parable, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then later when he's explaining what the parable means, he says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Later on in Luke chapter 8, uh, in verse 17, Jesus says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. In the next chapter, Luke chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus invites his disciples, Peter, John, and James, up to a mountaintop to pray with him. And as they get to the top of the mountain, a cloud descends there upon the mountain, and Jesus is transfigured in that moment, and Moses and Elijah appear before them. And a voice comes from out of the cloud, a voice of God, and it says to his disciples, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. That's the only command that God speaks out of the cloud to James, John, and Peter. Listen to him. This is incredible. And, and get this, I, this is so cool. I, I mean, uh, as the kids say, I just can't even with some of this. Like, it's, it's so cool. Just before we have the scene where Mary and Martha receive Jesus into their home, Jesus has an interaction with a Pharisee, an expert in the law. And this law teacher, this Pharisee, comes to Jesus and says, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus answers his question with a question, which is my favorite thing. I love when Jesus does that, answering questions with questions. And he asks this expert in the law, what does the law say? How do you read it? And the man responds in such a fascinating way. He quotes a prayer from Deuteronomy. And this was a prayer that every Jewish person at this time would pray every morning and every evening. Still today, many Jews pray this prayer twice a day. And it's a prayer called the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for listen. It's the listening prayer. And the prayer goes like this. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the prayer that the Pharisee quotes to Jesus, but he leaves out the first sentence. How fascinating is that? Jesus asks him, how do you interpret the law? What does the law say? And the man responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You see, the Pharisee jumped to obedience without first listening. He quotes the listening prayer but he forgets about the listening portion of it. And it's after that that Jesus tells 
this Pharisee the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And right after that, he enters the home of Mary and Martha. So this moment with Mary and Martha is actually illustrating a major theme. It is so important that we remember that obedience that does not begin with listening and attending to the voice of God will ultimately become a self-serving activity. There's no avoiding it. The posture that Mary assumes is the posture that we must always assume when we are following Christ. Mary's posture is the posture of humility, but Martha's posture in her obedience is a posture of pride and self-interest. And I think that it's so easy for us, even if we've been serving God for years, probably especially if we've been serving God for years, to fall into the Martha posture where we serve in a way to say, God, do you see me? Am I doing this right? We're looking for the praise of God and the praise of men, but we're not doing so with humility, being attentive to the voice of God. Martha's posture was the same as the Pharisees. It was works without faith. This is a, a principle, it's not, it doesn't just come in this moment in Luke, but this actually goes back throughout the whole Bible. Uh, King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the wisest men who ever lived, says in chapter five, verse one, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. This is something that and in my own life, I've been so convicted of those moments where I have served not out of a place of being attentive to God and listening to him, but I've made a sacrifice of fools because my serving was really all about me getting praise and me looking good. Oswald Chambers, who was a British missionary who traveled to Central Africa in the early 1900s, uh, he wrote in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, he said, it is much easier to do something than to trust in God. We mistake panic for inspiration. That is why there are so few fellow workers with God and so many workers for him. We would far rather work for God than believe in him. When we listen to God, we enter into a posture of humility and trust that God knows what he's doing, that God has the best for us. So that's the difference. <laughs> that's the difference between Martha and Mary and their obedience. But why does Jesus call Mary's obedience the good portion? What in the world does he mean by that? Take a look back at Luke chapter 10, verse 40 now. It says, And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. By the way, just want to pause right there real quick. Uh, if you're wondering if you are serving out of a Martha mentality, one of the telltale signs that you're doing so is if you begin criticizing the servanthood of other people. 
as soon as you start pointing fingers and point, uh, looking at how other people are flawed in the way they serve, that's a good indication that you might be in this place. We'll just leave that there. But the Lord answered her, and I love how tender Jesus is in this moment. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Church, before we are Christ's servants, we are his children. And intimacy with our Father is the ultimate goal of our lives here on earth. We must never, never make Christ a means to our own ends. Christ is the end for which we do everything in our lives. As soon as we make Christ the means in whatever good cause we may have the end of our Christian faith, we are in danger of missing everything. Everything. Christ is the ultimate end, the ultimate goal for which we strive. He's the great prize for which we, as Paul says, run the race marked out for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I think he's talking about this very posture here. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, the love of Christ, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I have nothing. C.S. Lewis said that if you aim at heaven, you may get earth thrown in, but if you aim at earth, you will get neither. Mary has the good portion because her aim was on the one thing that matters, Christ himself, Christ everlasting. And in a posture of humility, she sits at her feet and attends to his teaching. And it is something that will never be taken away from her, and it's something that if we do the same, it will never be taken away from us. He is our prize, and he is faithful. So how can we obey more like Mary? I just want to get really practical this morning because you may be thinking in this moment, uh, you know, Jamin, that's really great. I'm glad you quoted C.S. Lewis, but that's like a, that's a little theoretical here. Like, that's nice. I love this idea. But what do we actually do? How do we do this? And, well, you know, I, I think if I'm just being honest with you, the practical side of this is something that I myself have have not always done the best in. I've had really good moments where I've felt like I've been in this place like Mary, but more often than not, I've fallen into serving like Martha. And so th these practical tips here are really for me as well as for you of learning how to practice this. 
Here are the three tips I want to give you. First, take time to practice silence and solitude. We live in an increasingly busy, bustling, active, product-driven society. You are judged by how much you produce. And we are obsessed with work. It is so difficult in our day and age to actually take the time to sit in silence and in solitude, not striving after anything, not trying to be productive, not checking our Instagram, but just to sit in a moment of silence. Silence and solitude is one of the great virtues of the Christian life, and it's been that way from the time of Jesus forward. A great definition of this, if you've never heard of it before, I, I love, this is something that John Mark Comer, the pastor in Portland, Oregon, gives for it. He says, Silence and solitude is intentional time in a quiet place to be alone with ourselves and God. Intentional time in a quiet place to be alone with ourselves and with God. This is something that Jesus himself, God made flesh, was careful that he practiced during his ministry. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says... Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus himself thought it was important to take this time, how much more important is it for us? And keep in mind here, too, Jesus was not antisocial. It's not like Jesus was always turning people down. Oh, I got to be by myself. Don't worry, I can't be with you right now. You know, it wasn't that. This whole series we've been doing, Meals with Jesus, Jesus thought community was so important. Being with people intentionally was so important, but he also needed those moments of being alone with his Father, just as we do. This is something, too, that the early church practiced, and they gave it a great name, the early church fathers. Uh, they called silence and solitude, I love this, they called it holy leisure. How many of you really need some holy leisure right now? I know I do. I've had a busy week. I need some holy leisure. Some time for us to stop. Stop striving and just listen. Reflect upon who God is and enjoy his presence. Richard Foster, uh, the theologian and pastor who wrote the book Celebration of Discipline, says... Silence is intimately related to trust. Silence is one of the deepest disciplines of the Holy Spirit simply because it puts the stopper on all self-justification. When you enter into silence and solitude, it's not even a time necessarily where you are striving after God. You're just sitting and enjoying his presence. In my own life, the form that it's taken, I've discovered that I'm really bad at silence and solitude if I'm just like sitting in a chair. Um, it might be different for you, but for me, the moments where I've had the most fruitful times of silence and solitude is just going on walks through my neighborhood. I just go on a walk, and, and I, I don't really have necessarily a destination. I just walk, I don't put any music in my ears, and just attend to the voice of God. And those have been transformational moments. So that's first tip. Second one, take the time to meditate 
on Scripture. Not just read Scripture, not just study Scripture, but meditate on it. Christian meditation is one of the most important Christian practices that we can do. It's not the same as Eastern meditation, and that's so important. When I say here, uh, take the time to meditate, I'm not saying, you know, sit cross-legged and go, oh, you know, that, eh, no, no, no. That's Eastern meditation, it's very different. Eastern meditation is all about emptying your mind, emptying yourself. Christian meditation is about filling your mind. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the mid-20th century uh, German theologian, talked about meditation this way. He said, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. That is meditation. I love that he brings Mary in here. Mary is the example. Just sitting and pondering the words of him who loves you is the meditation. One of the best ways you can do this practically is just take a really small piece of scripture. Don't try to read a whole chapter. Don't do a big, long passage. Something small. Maybe a psalm. One of the psalms of David. Read it. Meditate upon it. And don't try to work on the scripture. Let the scripture work on you. The Bible says that the word of God is breathing and alive and that it cuts like a two-edged sword. Let Scripture work on your heart. It is a living thing. Richard Foster, again, in his book Celebration of Discipline, talks about meditation this way. He says, The purpose of meditation is in to enable us to hear God more clearly. Meditation is listening, sensing, heeding the life and light of Christ. This comes right to the heart of our faith. The life that pleases God, listen to this church, the life that pleases God is not a set of religious duties. It is to hear his voice and obey his word. Meditation opens the door to this way of living. The third and final way, so we have sit in silence and solitude meditate upon scripture and then finally this ties back in with our series of meals with jesus take time to listen to the spiritual leaders around you take the time to get together with other believers in your community go get coffee go get dinner invite them into your home and take the time to pray with them and encourage them and to sit with them and to listen to how they have been working their faith out. It is such a valuable resource. Just last week, uh, one of the couples in our church, the Donaldsons, invited me to their home, and I, it was just such a life-giving time that we had together. There was nothing super spiritual about it. I just went over for dinner, and we just sat around the table and talked for a few hours, but I left feeling encouraged spiritually. There was something so beautiful about that. And I think that that type of work is not something that just our pastors do, but that we as a church community need to do with one another. And we can. 
a few years ago, I came across this fascinating book by a scholar named uh, Mary Poplin, Dr. Mary Poplin. I love that her name is Mary, just like our main character here in, in this story we've been reading. But Dr. Mary Poplin was, was a very different person than the Mary that we encounter in Scripture. Dr. Mary Poplin was not a Christian for most of her life, and as she entered into her years of scholarship, she actually was very much anti-Christian. She became a specialist in Marxist and feminist advocacy and sought to use her scholarship to bring about Marxist revolutions. The one thing that was really good about her work, however, is that she deeply cared about the poor. And in the midst of her work, she heard about a woman in Calcutta, India, who is doing some incredible work with the poor who were there. Her name was Mother Teresa. Mary Poplin was fascinated by the figure of Mother Teresa, and so she wrote a letter to her and asked if she could come to Calcutta to spend some time with uh, Teresa and, and to be working in her ministry and to just see how it was that this woman was doing all that she could to take care of the poor in this destitute and poor city. So she hopped on a plane and she got out there to India. But as soon as she landed and began to work with Mother, Mother Teresa, her whole paradigm of what it meant to take care of the poor was upset entirely. As she came into the house of the dying, the place where Mother Teresa cared for the untouchables, the poorest of the poor in that community, she saw that Mother Teresa and the women who worked there would constantly, all day long, they would wash the people who were sick, they would feed them, they would then get them into a bed for them to rest, and all the time they would just pray quietly over them. In the mornings before they would begin this work, Mother Teresa and her sisters would meet in the chapel next to the house of the dying, and they would have a two-hour prayer service where they would just dedicate themselves to the Lord in worship and in prayer. And Mary Poplin observed that at the end of each of these services, Mother Teresa would say ardently to the sisters, our first obligation is not to the poor, our first obligation is to belong to Christ and to pray unceasingly. Mary Poplin was so changed by what she saw here in this community that within a few months, she gave her heart to Jesus and became a follower of Christ. And she devoted all her scholarship for the rest of her life and still to this day is doing this scholarship where she tells people about the good love of Jesus and about how love for the poor begins with intimacy in Christ. Dr. Mary Poplin, I think, really understood by the end of her life what it meant to serve like Mary, not like Martha. Would you stand with me today? In just a moment, we're going to enter into a time of prayer in worship. 
And I want to invite all of you who are here today, who if you take an honest look at your heart, you can see that maybe you have not been obedient like Mary, but more like Martha. I want to give you the opportunity today to come forward and to seek Jesus, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to allow him to speak to you and to work on your heart. I also want to pray today for those of you who maybe you haven't even begun your discipleship to Jesus. Maybe you haven't even gotten to the place where you're beginning to obey him. But today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you so clearly that he wants you to come and to find relationship with him. And out of that love and that relationship, begin to obey his word. So with every head bowed and eye closed, We say, Lord, we come to you today with ardent hearts. And we know, God, that your word says that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are present. And we know, God, that you are here this morning. I pray, Lord, over the people who are here who want to have a revived intimacy with you, who want to serve you like Mary. I pray that you would meet us here in this moment, that you would minister to our hearts that you would hear, heal our wounds, hear our prayers, and begin to do a mighty work in us. As we begin to sing and as we begin to pray and worship, come forward to receive prayer from our leaders and sit in that posture like Mary to listen to the voice of God. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.